Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The human capacity to trust makes us vulnerable, never more so than when we become entangled with a confirmed liar. He just wanted money and he would say and do whatever. And then there's the third type of victim, the one that really hurts the most, and that's the victim who doesn't actually realise that they're a victim. No, they don't understand how people can be so manipulative and so conniving. If you lost your life savings when you're in your 60s and 70s, that's earth-shattering. And then he died and she never got the money back. Kia ora, I'm Duncan Smith and this is Pants on Fire. Fibber's Guide to Lies, Lying and Liars. In this episode, we explore lies and lying online, go in search of Ernest Dickens and hear about the Spanish prisoner. When I was 12 or 13, I received a letter from a girl my age who lived in another part of the country, inviting me to be her pen friend. Years earlier, our families had lived in the same small country town, and while I couldn't really remember her from those times, I was flattered and intrigued, so I accepted her offer. We exchanged letters every few days. A connection was made and soon grew. Some kind of unstated romance blossomed between the lines of our letters, and we were caught up in a passionate whirlpool of correspondence. I eagerly collected the mail, seizing on each letter and scuttling away to savour in the privacy of my room. I'd compose my reply and dispatch it promptly. It was absorbing, quietly thrilling. I felt alive, buoyed by this long-distance romance. Then one day, no letter arrived. And the next day, again, nothing. No explanation. Silence reigned. I never received another letter from her again. I felt hollow, empty, depressed. A great vacuum of loneliness engulfed me. How vulnerable we can be to a friendly approach. How flattered we are when someone shows interest in us. We're quickly and easily drawn into trusting someone. In many cases, as you'll hear, someone we have never even seen. My mum and dad have been separated for almost 20 years. Mum has started to look for companionship, I suppose. This is Alexa. And she had been in contact with single groups and had been out for meals and for dancing, etc., etc., which was, which was good. We were encouraging that to, um, you know, get her a bit more social and to have, you know, some friends and like-minded people. She then told us that she had met somebody and he was, he was um, special, um, and so we were, you know, a little apprehensive, but also, you know, quite pleased that she was finding somebody. And it became apparent pretty quickly that things were not as it should be because she had not met this guy. She had only 
been talking to him online. Alexa's looking out for her mother, a lively 73-year-old. She's a novice on the net. So on questioning further, she had um, been Skyping. So we all assumed that she had seen him on Skype, but it actually turned out that this fella had uh, broken his uh, laptop. The camera wasn't working, so they could only phone. So she hadn't actually seen him at all. So there was bigger red flags for us then. So being the eldest daughter, I think it was kind of like left to me to actually have that conversation with her. So I was questioning her, trying to seek information, not question, trying to seek information from her, wanting to know more about him in, in a positive sense. From the outside, it might seem an obvious con. But if the person you're talking to seems nice and is genuinely interested in you, who knows what we'll fall for. I was asking Mum about this man, and his name that he had given her was Ernest Dickens. So my partner, he was doing a little bit of a background search on Ernest Dickens, who was a, a, this alleged oil worker, um, who was a you know very wealthy man. Ernest had been born in the UK and was widely travelled around the world and was now in, in Ghana working in um, the oil industry. So mum was very pleased and he goes, you know, he's fallen in love with me, is was what my mum said. And she goes, and I think I'm, I'm beginning to fall in love with him. So we're like, OK, <laughs> that's great. Um, so superficially, I'm, I'm telling her, oh, that's, I'm, I'm pleased that you're, um, you know, you're finding somebody. Um, tell me more about him so that we could get this information from her without being really, you can't see this man anymore or can't speak to him which illustrates that the human capacity to trust can indeed make us vulnerable. Because he had lost or had, it had been stolen from, from his workplace and he was unable to access his accounts because they were all on this iPad and iPhone, so he wasn't able to get the money to replace them. Mum sent over, very lovely, sent over an iPhone and an iPad and a couple of thousand um, pounds, this is as well, to him. And um, said, please let me know when it arrives. And so, funny enough, this, you know, these items and the money never never appeared. And um, so, um, you know, she, she, she was like, oh, well, I'll claim on the insurance and, and, um, and things. And so he was like, oh, I'm really desperate now and I love you. And um, can you please um, help me? I'm getting into a very difficult situation. And or, he needed to access his daughter his daughter was at university and and um so mum was actually talking to his daughter in whatever university she was in as well so it had was you know getting really involved with his family we'll leave alexa and her mum now to hear from an expert in the field of online fraud detective inspector ian chapman there's there's three types of victims as i, as I find uh, the first type are the ones who lose a little bit of money they can wear it they don't like it but they're probably too embarrassed to come forward. And there's a degree of, of pride there. They can't believe they fell for it. And, and trust me, the very, very first thing that a victim will say to me is, I can't believe I fell for that. The second type of victim is the one that I deal with the most. They've lost quite a bit of money. They're still very embarrassed and, and the pride is sometimes hurt, but they have to report it because it's life-changing. You know, uh, Many thousands of dollars have gone out and they realise that that's the case, uh, that they have to then go and report it. The banks have an expectation on them to report and things like that. 
And then there's the third type of victim, which um, hopefully we can touch on today, is the one that really hurts the most, and that's the victim who doesn't actually realise that they're a victim, that through their own you know, social setup, stage of life that they're at, their ignorance to modern technology, they believe it. They still believe it, and they will tend to hide it. You know, I'd be I'd be reaching out to the families of you know I, I guarantee someone's listening to this who's got a mother or father um, who's fallen for a romance scam and just will not believe it, right. and they'll go along. You know, there's cases that I've dealt with where the parent is a widow, they've met someone online, it's a complete scam, it's not overly technical, it's certainly not that complicated to a person who who can recognise it, but they're falling for it hook, line, and sinker. They they're, they're uh, selling houses to pay money, they're sending all their life savings overseas. In some really scary instances, they're travelling, you know, and the, the, the victims who send money and then get convinced to travel, are the, the you know, that's the danger zone. That's where you get into the, the realms of people who then get convinced to, to carry drugs. Ian Chapman is the National Manager of the Asset Recovery Unit, Financial Crime Group in the New Zealand Police. The ones that I've come across, the mother or father will have a problem with their computer and they'll right. often turn to their you know, siblings or grandkids yeah. and say, hey, can you try and fix it? And in doing so, they discover the emails or the Skype, you know, history and all that sort of stuff. There's some awful stories, really, truly awful stories of family who are just absolutely desperate because mum and dad, well, sorry, mum is generally a widow, is just convinced that this person overseas is genuine, is who they say they are. One particular case, trying to sell the house. We're talking about sending hundreds of thousands of dollars across to this person. You know, if, if you lost your life savings when you're in your 60s and 70s, that's, that's earth-shattering type events. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's very it's hard to come back from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that yeah, would be... Very, very hard to come back from that. While we contemplate the prospect of being seriously swindled in our senior years, Mark Wilson, Professor of Psychology at Victoria University, says... Con artists and serial liars would not be able to ply their trade if there wasn't a certain basic level of trust okay, in any society. So I meet someone for the first time. I'm relatively likely to make the assumption, without even thinking about it, that they are relatively trustworthy. Therefore, when someone says, oh, look, I've left my wallet at home. I don't suppose you could pay for the petrol. I'll pay, pay you back. I'm going to assume that actually your word is your bond. And until you actually go ahead and punish me for that assumption, thus damaging your reputation over time, then I'm going to start to worry about trusting you. So psychopaths, narcissists, con artists wouldn't be able to steal people's life savings if we didn't have a certain base level of trust in our societies at the moment. And when their reputations are sufficiently tarnished so that anyone on the street will see them and realise they can't be trusted, then they will change their constituency. It's, in evolutionary language, it's called a cheater defector strategy. You cheat until your reputation is tarnished, and then you defect. You go and find greener pastures where your reputation is sufficiently intact. And again, pick up the newspapers. Find examples of those people who yeah, were, were, were convicted of fraud in somewhere else, and they've moved to Australia. And then they've come to New Zealand, for example, and they've done exactly the same thing again. Classic cheater defector. So, at the risk of harping on, our willingness to trust makes us susceptible to con artists. Here's Ian Chapman again for a bit more detail on cyber fraud. If you're talking about cyber-enabled fraud, it takes an element of skill. It's social engineering at its finest. It's, it's the art of the con. You know, that first phishing email that you'll receive or the first phone call that you'll receive will generally be almost like an automated, a mass dump of, of emails get sent out. 
and the odd person would fall for it. The second email, when you start engaging with these people, will probably be an actual person. Then they just start that story. And that's where you start getting the social engineering really coming in and they key in. And I mean, these guys spend a, a huge investment of their own time, these, these criminals, getting people on the hook. The most valuable asset to a scammer is socially engineering a victim to do as they say, not just to get money out of them, but convince them to handle money on their behalf. And those people are generally the romance victims, the ones who have decided... Uh, for whatever reason, to believe that this person who they've never met, who, you know, is, is promising them the world and marriage and love, really gets them on the hook. And I've seen cases where this contact goes between the scammer and the romance victim for two or three months on a daily basis, Skype conversations, phone calls, emails, everything like that, for two or three months before the first request for money comes in. So just imagine how resource-hungry that is yeah. for the scammer. They, they place a massive amount. But once they get those people on the hook... And these people have actually fallen for it, won't believe the authorities, won't believe the banks when the banks start ringing them saying, hey, you're sending money to a uh, country that is clearly a red flag country for us. You, you're showing all the signs of someone who's falling for a romance scam. They just won't believe it. They'll deny it. They'll deny it to their family. Me as the police, I'll ring them up and they'll deny it to me because right. the, the art of the con has worked so well. So that they just totally believe them. They've just gone for it, yeah. It's greed the drive typically or do other motivations come into play for the victims or for the oh because <laughs> that's, that's well the, i suppose that's right because yeah. like we're talking about the lonely hearts so they yeah. want a, a partner but lots of other people it's a very attractive interest rate or if essentially if you give me ten thousand dollars now you'll get heaps back later yes yeah, so, i mean the advanced fee fraud is the classic case of a um of keying into someone's and i mean look it's, it's the uncomfortable truth but greed does play a massive part of the victims who fall for scams like that. Um, the 419 scam, they call it. The 419 is the penal code in Nigeria that deals with online fraud or something like that. But they call it the 419 scam, also known as the advanced fee fraud, the Spanish prisoner scam. It's been going around since the 1700s. Essentially, all it is is we will promise you a, a huge amount of money, $150 million, something absurd, to get these people on the hook. Even the most naive person, when presented with that, will get the, the, the red flags will pop up because they go, oh, hang on. Perhaps they're asking them to send money back to Nigeria or some, to one of these red flag countries. But then when they're further presented with, say, a link to a bank account that's got their name, their account, and a whole pile of money sitting in it, they start to fall for it. And so they'll, <laughs> they'll then go on that journey where, you know, you've got $150 million sitting in a, in a bank account. All we need to release it is a bit of tax. So do you mind paying us 25000 US dollars? On the face of it, it seems crazy. But we all have our price, or so I'm told. And who doesn't want an extra million or three in their bank account? And it's not just individuals who are easily scammed. You know, a lot of companies sort of put a huge amount of weight in IT protection. And I noticed this. I mean, the small, the SMEs, the small medium enterprises, you know, who get hurt a lot in New Zealand, they put so much weight and they invest so heavily in the frontline firewall of their IT and then they sit back and they think it's it's safe. However, the reason that they get money taken off them is it always fails at the person. Yeah. And the scammers and the criminals are becoming very, very keyed into this. And I've had cases, and I've certainly done a lot of research of the cases overseas, where the scammers will bypass the security entirely 
and they will ring their accounts lady. And I'll speak to them on the phone, and they would have studied the CEO or the CFO of the company. They learn their voice deflection, and they actually mimic them, and they, they, they portray themselves as the CEO. And they convince the accounts lady to send some money overseas. Gosh. <laughs> you know, and that's, that, that's a really common uh, scam now that we're saying. It's called whaling, or the CEO fraud. It's been published, but whaling is, is the term that's given to it, is, is around that. For every single protection... There is a scammer or a syndicate or a group of criminals sitting around figuring out how to break it. Remember Alexa and her mother? Well, Alexa, good daughter that she is, wasn't content to just let things lie. So she gave me his number and um, and I, I rang it. And this, this Ghanaian accent um, answered me. And my first thing was, how, how did you let this happen? I couldn't understand because my mum is a, a sensible lady. Uh, how did she not realise that this man was not English or, you know, British? Not that that made any difference, but, I mean, like, he clearly wasn't the man he was saying, selling himself to be. Mm. So I spoke to him and didn't let on who I was or who I was referring to. And I just pretended that I was one of his women or my mum. I didn't know how many women he had on the go at the time. So I just said, oh, is this Ernest? And he said, yes. And I said, oh, I love you, I love you, I miss you. I've been waiting to, to hear from you. Where have you been? And he said, oh, I'm here, darling, I'm here, darling. How's your day? I've been thinking about you. And I was like, have you? Have you really? I said, oh, I'm so, you know, I just kept on this conversation pretending that I was one of his women just to see... Because if he'd no idea, he should have said, sorry, I don't know who this is. And, and he then started questioning me, like, tell me all about your day. Give me the details so I can walk in your shoes, so I can smell the same air that you've been smelling. You know, all of this, it was really, it was really quite bizarre. I knew who he was. He had no idea. And he was trying to fish to figure out who I was, yeah. which lady am I. So I kind of then thought, you have got a few women on the go here. Lots of background and noise. It was like he was in an office somewhere. So I was asking him, I said, who's around you? There's lots of noise. Who is it? He said, oh, don't worry about that, my dear. So once I'd really understood that this person had no idea who I was, I said, look, listen here, mate. Uh, I said, I'm not who you think I am, and you are clearly not who you're saying you are. I said, you leave my mother alone and have no contact and then he just demeanor change. Well, first of all, he was just like, I don't know what you mean. I'm, you know, I'm yours. I thought we had this connection. And I said, I know that you are conning my mother. And I said, it needs to stop. And I said, it, you're a despicable person. Stop it. And he said, he then, his, his demeanor changed. Who are you? And who is your mother? And I said, I am not telling you who my mother is. And I was like, because I have no idea how many women you've got on the go, but you have to stop. This is, you know, I'm, I'm calling the police. I will get the police onto this. And the phone just went dead. Still determined to get Ernest Dickens out of her mother's life, Alexa isn't finished yet. So I created a fake Facebook profile and put up all of the details from this Ernest Dickens uh-huh. and, um, and said, you know, this is what he's told me, etc., etc., etc. And then my sister somehow linked so my mum could access it. But in the meantime, there was so my mum could say, oh, this Ernest Dickens and he's related to, you know, he's been in this part of the scam. Then about 10 other people actually commented saying they've been chatting to an Ernest Dickens, but he's a German fella or he's a 
you know, um, an Israeli fellow or or such and such. So I think that was a final thing for mum, that it wasn't her family telling her there was actually other people. And she also obviously never heard back from him again either because (laughs) we had blocked him from her phone and from her social media. Take that, Ernest Dickens. Now, to maintain my status as an equal opportunity lie investigator, well, I had to ask the theme of this podcast series about lies and lying. Mm. And you're also involved in a deception with your mother. Absolutely. Well, I mean, did you, you know, was it difficult for you three to, to sit on it or you just decided it was the best thing? Or When we found out she'd already sent money and um, these devices over, so yeah. we needed to act pretty quickly. And we know what what kind of personality mum is. She's one of these people, if you say black, she says white. She will listen to other people over her family so we kind of knew her if we'd broached her she would have just shut us down and we would never know what was going on so So it was really the only way it was the only option for us yeah i mean if mum had been somebody that we could sit down and say and she would listen to us then we would have we would have definitely gone down that route because you know it's never nice and we didn't want to hear the the things we didn't want to read what mum was saying to him as well no. because I mean that was it's an invasion of privacy and stuff, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And there's some stuff that, you know, for somebody else it's different, but your mother you don't really want to We didn't want to know no. some of the things she was saying, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before your imaginations run wild, I doubt whether many people would question Alexa and her siblings' motives in this instance. But it is deception nonetheless. I guess you'd call theirs white lies. You'll know from previous episodes of Pants on Fire that liars lie because they're reinforced for doing so. In this case, Ernest was reinforced to the extent of two iPads, an iPhone and a few thousand pounds. This reinforcement, however, needn't only come in the form of valuables. Here's Simon Keller, Professor of Philosophy at Victoria University and regular contributor to this podcast series. It can show that they are superior to others in a certain way. The fact that you can mislead someone and cause them to do something just because you told them a lie can be a a power rush. And there are some people who will tell lies for no apparent reason. They'll they'll just lie, apparently, for the pure joy of being able to mislead others. And I think it's a kind of power trip that that's what it is. But also, I think, a way of kind of asserting your dominance over somebody, showing them that you have something over them, or maybe not showing them, maybe them not knowing, but you knowing that you've been telling them lies, you've been taking advantage of them, and hence that you have a certain power over them that they don't realise you have. So this reinforcement can be in the form of something that feeds the liar's ego. One aspect of this lying business we haven't really looked into yet is how we respond to being accused of dishonesty, or indeed caught out in a lie. Here's Ian Chapman again. The ones who are guilty of a crime are very, very comfortable talking about the incidents around the crime. Very comfortable on the before and the after. Get to the during and they become very vague. And that's a sure sign. And so they'll tell you, you know, we start as an, uh, you know, when we interview, we start talking about, you know, what you had for breakfast two days before. And we'll take them through second by second their pattern right up until the point of the offence, the, the offence itself. And then afterwards, and we'll continue on, and we'll gain this big picture of, of everything that went on. You know, they'll be talking happily, they might be joking, smiling, laughing, right up until the point where you actually start going, okay, now, and they know, they know that, you know, <laughs> there, are, there are some very pointed questions that we could be asking at that time. But in the initial stage, 
it's probably best just to let them talk, let silence prevail, make them a little bit uncomfortable, and eventually they'll want to fill that void. And that's where we get our gold. Silence is golden for interrogators too, it seems. Who would have thought it? The more seasoned people who have been through the process a few times will generally like to try and figure out what you've got on them first. To the old school villains who will put their hand up, we can take it on the chin as a bit of, you know, it's a matter of, yep, you got me. So they kind of understand that if they're now in the interrogation room, that basically the game is up and it's a question of how bad it's going to be for them. Yep, you know, there's the code, they won't talk. Right. They won't They won't put anyone else in it, but if, if we've got them fair to rights, then yeah, they'll, they'll put their hand up. And that, that holds, the they yeah. won't talk thing is pretty strong still? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a code. The, the, the flip side of that is you'll get uh, the first-time offenders who will just spill the beans on everything. Right. And then, you know, the middle-of-the-road guys and girls who um, assume that they sort of go into it thinking, well, I'm here for a reason, but the police don't know what I did, so I'm just going to feed them a bunch of BS, and then we sit back and go, okay, that's very interesting. And then we'll put challenges to them at the end of the interview, and you say, well, you've told me that you're in a red car that day. Here's a picture of you in the blue car. Explain that. And that's where... It's quite enjoyable to watch the expression on their face as, a, as the world crumbles around them. For everyone who's been scammed by the earnest dickens of this world, let's hope plenty of them have that experience and feel their world crumble around them. As we bring this episode towards a close, here's Alexa again with a few things she learned through her mother's experience with the scammer. They always tend to have a grown-up daughter in university and I think that just shows that they've, got, they've done well. They're in a um, reputable business. They're um, in management or or higher. Um, They're self-sufficient. Their wife is usually died. Right. It's not because they've had a divorce. They would have obviously still been in love and still been married. Um, So these are the these are the backstories of most of these online older people. So they want you to feel sorry for them that they've done so well raising their children to put them through university all by themselves. Their wives died many years ago but they didn't want to bring anybody else in because it was just them and their children and they wanted it to be like that. But now that their children are older... A little bit lonely. Yeah. Yeah. So, if any of this is sounding familiar, be wary. I think that generation as well, people just take it on face value. They just what you know, they don't understand how people can be so manipulative and so conniving making somebody fall in love with you, how does that help? And they're not looking at the money side of things and it being a business. They're looking at, you know, what what do they get out of falling in love with me? My mum, I don't think, still understands that he didn't fall in love with my mum. He just wanted money and he would say and do whatever. So my advice, and I've given that to my mum as well, is like just, you know, you just can't trust people. For the love scams, you need to never send them any money you never send them any devices if they've got a sad hard luck story in the early days of the relationship then be very very concerned (laughs) ditch them (laughs) run for the hills run for the hills it's easy to be wise after the fact but again the human capacity to trust makes us vulnerable never more so than when we become entangled with a confirmed liar. I'm Duncan Smith, and this is Pants on Fire, the Fibber's Guide to Lies, Lying and Liars. In the next episode, we go looking for the truth about lies in fiction. Yes, 
And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you may be interested in the fantastic series The Lost, in which Paloma Magoni digs into the cold cases of those who never came home. One of the many podcasts available on the RNZ website, iTunes and Radio Public. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.